Today, we're going to learn a Sicha from the Rebbe on Parsha Baaloscha. It's from volume 18, and it's the fifth Sicha of this week's Parsha Baaloscha. In these volumes of those years of the Kutta Sichos, there are five published talks on each Parsha. So this one is the fifth Sicha. So, and it's not just the fifth of the five sichas, it's also based on literally the end of the Parsha. So just as a short background, a summary of the background is, the Jews are traveling in the desert, and when we're traveling in the desert, we come to a place called Chatseros, that's where this area of the desert is. And suddenly, Miriam, Moshe's and Aaron's, Moshe's older sister and Aaron's sister, Miriam, she is struck by a skin condition known as Tsaras. She gets Tsaras. She gets this leprosy condition. Why was she struck by this uh, condition? What What happened that she did this? So we know that this condition of leprosy comes to a person who speaks Lashon Hara, who speaks, uh, you know, not nice things about other people. What happened was, Moshe went to speak to Hashem, and Miriam was sitting with her brother, probably they were having a coffee somewhere, and Miriam says to her brother that, you know what's going on over here? Moshe is has separated from his wife. He's no more. He doesn't go home anymore more by night. He's not with his wife anymore. And it's because, obviously, because he speaks to Hashem a lot. So he that's so he separates from his wife. Now, she was putting a negative slant on this because she heard that there were many other people getting prophecy those days who did not have to refrain from being married. For example, she herself and her brother Aaron had gotten prophecy and others that were known in the camps than the people that got prophecy and they were not separating from their wives. But Moshe is separating from his wife. So there's like, you know, telling somebody that there's Sholem Bayez problems going on in this, this house here from our brother. Now, she didn't realize that the reason why Moshe separated from his wife was because God told him to. God said, for you, I speak to you all the time. We have, you know, we're on cell phone favorite communication. So, you know, you, you need to be available for me all the time, Hashem says. But she didn't realize that. So by this slanderous or con- not, not straight out slanderous talk, not even meaning to do anything bad, but just by saying this, she gets punished with with this uh, punishment. And then the verse says, that Hashem says, that this is like somebody who spits into their father's face, this kind of behavior. And like Rashi puts it, this kind of behavior would normally cause at least two weeks of separating from your father if you spit in his face. But for me, I'm going to get over this quicker, but she has to isolate herself for seven days. And that will allow her after that to come back to 
the community people. So Miriam goes outside the camp to isolate herself for seven days and the entire Jewish people does not travel. We all decide we're waiting for Miriam. We're not going on our holidays through the desert without having our beloved Miriam to be with us. And then afterwards, they, 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 get, they get ready to travel from Chatzeris and then they go to the place called Midbar Paran. Now, so that's, that's, the, that's the literal parts of the story. Now let's get into the Sicha. The end of the parsha on those words that says, that she closes herself, she goes into quarantine, she goes outside the camp, outside the camp, which means outside all the campings that took place, where the Kohens, where the Levites, and the Israelites, outside of all the camps, she goes there for seven days, and the, on the verse finished, and the nation does not travel until Miriam comes back. So Rashi stops on these words that says the Amlaynasa that the nation did not travel, and Rashi says this fact that the people did not travel, this is an honor that God Chilaklay Hamakom, the the one from the place, meaning as we say a lot of times in English, the omnipotent, the one who's above all, Hashem Himself. This is the honor that Hashem himself bestowed on Miriam here, that everybody waited for her. Why did Hashem give her such great honor? It's because there was one time when Miriam stopped to give honor to her brother Moshe. When did this happen? Many, many years ago. Many years ago. We're talking now over 80 years ago. Because Moshe was only three months old, baby, and his mother, Yocheved, put him into a basket, right? Because what she, he was born at seven months old. By nine months, she couldn't hide him anymore in the house because the Egyptians were looking for anybody that had any babies that were born. She makes this basket, she puts him in the basket, and she pushes it into the water, into the sea. And where did Miriam stand during this time? Vatisatsev. Miriam sat or took a place. Miriam the and the sister. He only had one has one sister. The sister Miriam stood or sat far from the distance to see what's going to be with this baby. She couldn't imagine this that her mother put the basket, the baby in the basket. What's going to be with little baby Moshe? And then Rashi concludes, etc. He doesn't bring down the whole story there of Moshe in the back. He just brings down those little bit of words. Now let's repeat Rashi's words again and let's try to remember it or write it down so you can remember and digest these words because the clue to all the respect that we show to Miriam is all in the words of Rashi. So again, Rashi uses these words. This is the honor that God bestows on her because of the moment, the one hour, or the, the Sha'achas could be one hour, or the period of time, period of time, that she waited for Moshe when he was cast into the Nile. 
as the verse that states, and he quotes three words from the verse. And the sister sat from the distance, etc. Now, says the Rebbe, on this insight about this idea that the entire people waited for Miriam, this is an honor that God bestowed upon her as a reward for something honorable that she did over 80 years ago. So he says like this, this, that Rashi, helps us to understand this by explaining his commentary, what is Rashi, or like what's he trying to teach us? So the explanation is Rashi's trying to help us to understand a question that could arise to a person learning the text of the Chumash here. And that's why Rashi has to explain this. The next verse after this verse that says Miriam was isolated outside the camp for seven days and the nation didn't travel until she came back. The next verse reads that the nation did not travel until she came back. And then it says, and after that, the nation traveled, they traveled from Chatzeris to the next place, Paran, right? So it says clearly, and after that, they traveled. That means after she came back. So why did the Torah have to tell me that the nation didn't travel? You said the nation doesn't travel while she goes in isolation until she comes back and then they travel. Why do you have to tell me that they didn't travel until she came back? You are, the next verse says that afterwards they all traveled. So it seems extra for the verse to say, and the nation didn't travel. You're already telling me that only after she comes back, we move on. So to understand why the verse has to tell me these words and the nation didn't travel, for this, Rashi is answering this difficulty. Rashi is saying that by repeating this idea that the nation didn't travel, it was because, you know why? It was because we wanted to give kavod honor to Miriam. So it wasn't just, it's not just extra words that the nation didn't travel. We could figure that out ourselves. But by saying those words and the nation didn't travel, it emphasizes the honor that was given to Miriam. So that's what the commentaries, and he brings down from a few of the commentaries from the Maskele David and the Chedushi Agados, Marsha. He brings it from a couple places that explain the need of why Rashi is coming to emphasize that it was God's giving the honor for Miriam. Says the Rebbe, we have to understand something. The verse said that the nation didn't travel. Why does Rashi, and where does Rashi get this from? That the reason why the nation didn't travel was because God decided to bestow the honor on her. Where do you get this idea that it was God wanted to bestow the honor? Maybe the Jews wanted to bestow the honor. The verse actually says, the people, the Am, the nation didn't travel. But Rashi's not saying the nation is giving her the honor. Rashi says that God is giving her the honor. Where does Rashi get this from? To say that it's God giving her the honor. Maybe it's literally like the verse said, the Am, the people didn't travel. 
And actually, what's interesting is that Rashi actually is changing also the words from a Mishnah. There's a Mishnah in Tractate Sota, page 9. Over there, the Mishnah talks about a bunch of examples where you find in the Torah that things in this world work measure for measure. The way you treat somebody is the way you get treated back. This comes from the Talmud. And one of the examples of this is our story. Miriam treated Moshe in a certain way, so she gets treated back with honor, right? And the Mishnah there says, therefore, all of Israel waited for her because she gave honor to Moshe, so all of Israel waited for her. One second. The Mishnah also doesn't say God was bestowing the honor on her. It says the Israelites were bestowing the honor. So why does, and where does Rashi get this from? Why and where is he saying specifically that God is the one that bestowing the honor on Miriam? Now, simply we could interpret the story to mean very simply. We could say, look, earlier in today, in this week's Parsha Baloscha, middle of the Parsha, it says that how did the system work in the desert when the Jews were traveling, from when we left Egypt? How did we know when to move, when to stop, when to go? How did, what was the system? So we had the famous GPS, the God's positioning system. And God told us when to move and when not to. How did God communicate with the three million people? So he had clouds. There were clouds that rested above us. And whenever the Jews would see the clouds lifting up, Everybody would grab all their belongings and start packing up. Time to move. That was our God's positioning system that we had. It was a very easy system. So you could say that the reason why the nation didn't move until Miriam came back, it could be because, why? Because of Hashem. Since Hashem didn't lift the cloud, sorry, since Hashem did, yeah, he didn't lift the cloud. Therefore, we didn't move. In other words, that's the simple way of understanding it. The verse says the people didn't move. Of course the people didn't move. It was because of Hashem. He didn't pick up the, the cloud. So when Rashi says that God bestowed the honor, it means the clouds didn't get picked up. And when the Mishnah says, the pe- like the verse says, that the people didn't move, it's also because of Hashem comes out that it's God that's bestowing this honor on Miriam. However, it's still unclear. It's still not so simple. Because when Rashi says, this is the honor that God bestows upon her, while the Mishnah says, therefore, the people, the Israelite, didn't move, they stayed back, even though it's obvious when the Mishnah says that the people stayed back, it was obviously dependent on the clouds lifting up or not. It's because the, according to the Mishnah, the, the Jews waiting was also because of the Jews. In other words, Hashem didn't lift a cloud, but the Mishnah is emphasizing that the Jews on their own also didn't want to move. They were on their own interested in Miriam's honor. Of course, the clouds not lifting up could have been the the, the signal for them, but they themselves were also motivated 
for the honor of Miriam. So from the Mishnah comes out, from the Talmud comes out, that God doesn't want anybody to move, and the Jews themselves also are interested in showing honor to Miriam. But from Rashi, Rashi only says, Hashem bestowed the honor. That means, according to Rashi, it almost seems like that the Jews themselves were not ready to stop and wait for Miriam. They were ready to move on. We got to move on. We got to move. We got to move. Eventually, we were promised to get to the land of Israel. So let's move. I, Miriam, is sick. She has leprosy. If you're going to emphasize that it's just God that was giving this honor, it, it could be looked upon as if you're excluding the Jews, that the Jews are not so interested in in, in waiting for her. But the Rebbe says to, to learn it like that is a very difficult way of learning it. The reason is because the verse itself says that the people, the Am, the nation did not move. Why would we have to interpret this the opposite of the literal text? That the Jews did not really want to move on? Very hard to say in the literal text narrative of the story, and we're not allowed to take the, 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 the literal sense of the words out of context, especially when we're learning with Rashi. Rashi is all about learning things with, with, this, with the actual you know, content of the story. So since the verse actually says, Va'am le'nasa, the Am, the Am Yisrael did not move on, it's obvious that they didn't want to move on. So we can't really say that the Mishnah says Israelites, they really they're under, they also didn't want to move. But according to Rashi, it was Hashem giving the honor because the Jews really did want to move on. It's very difficult to say that. It doesn't fit to say that way of thinking with the literal text of the narrative. So that's really number one. So let's summarize. Number one question is, why did Rashi have to say that God is the one that's giving all this honor to Miriam by saying everybody should wait before you continue to travel. When the verse itself says that the people didn't travel, it doesn't say that Hashem was the one that gave the honor. It seems like the Jews in general gave the honor and the Mishnah seems to say like the regular verse. That's question one. Now, in section two here, the Rebbe has three questions on some detailed wordings of Rashi. Number one, Rashi said that Hashem is giving honor to Miriam because of the moment that she waited for Moshe when he was thrown into the river. Says the Rebbe, what does that add in anything of this story if you tell me that you, that she waited an hour for Moshe. That's all you have to say. Why did Rashi have to add the words of the story where it happened? How does that help me in anything? Just say, Hashem was giving her honor because she once waited for Moshe. Why do I have to know where the event was? How does it help us to know where the event was? Rashi's not a storyteller. Why did Rashi have to write that it happened by the place when he was cast into the Nile? Rashi could have just said, like the Mishnah said, actually. The Mishnah itself says, Miriam waited for Moshe for one period of time, as the verse says that the sister, the sister was sitting in the distance. 
The Mishnah doesn't say those words that she was waiting for an hour while when he was when he was thrown into the Nile. So what's the why did Rashi add those words? And if if Rashi added words, it must be telling us something very important to help us to understand the whole narrative of the story. And when we're talking about Miriam or any woman, we have to understand every single detail of it. If you want to appreciate what's going on. So why did Rashi add those words that he, she waited for Moshe when he was thrown in? You could have just said he waiting for Moshe. As the verse says, she stood on the side and everybody knows where the verse is. Number two. Rashi, when he quotes the verse, he says that the sister was sitting from a distance. Why does that help me to know that she was sitting from a distance to know what's going to happen? What does the distance have to do with anything? How does that help me to the story here? In the story where you're speaking about Moshe floating in the basket, okay, over there you're telling the story. So say a story properly with all the details. But in our place, this is not the place where we're telling you the story of Moshe in the basket. It's only the proof of why we're giving her such honor because she once waited for Moshe. So where did she wait for Moshe? She, she sat there on the side when he was in the river. Why do I have to know the word Meirachik? That she stood from a distance. Who cares where and how far it was? Why is the geographical fact that she was in a distance mentioned here in the Rashi, that word. So that's the second question in the Rashi when he brings this extra word. Number three, Rashi quotes three words from the verse and then he says, etc. In Hebrew, it's called vigoimer, etc. When Rashi says etc., that means he's telling you that there's something in that verse in the later words that I'm not quoting to you here now, that if you know those words, it's going to help you something to the understanding over here. That's why he's saying etc. If he doesn't need, if you don't need to know anything about the later part of the verse, don't even say the word etc. Ask anybody that's a writer for anywhere. If you write the word etc., that means you're alluding to something. So if Rashi writes here, it means something. In many places, Rashi quotes verses hundreds of times, and he doesn't always say, and etc. So why does he say over here in this word, this verse, he says, God bestowed honor upon her for the moment that she waited for Moshe. Where? The place where he was thrown into the river, which we don't know why he had to add those words. As the verse says, the sister sat there. We don't know why he has to quote the verse also, the word that says from a distance, and then Rashi says, etc. Why are you telling me the, that word, etc.? What are you trying to hint to me, Rashi? Something here you're trying to tell me? So I guess from when Rashi wrote this Rashi, uh, about eight, 900 years ago, until 1965, Jews had the, this question and probably couldn't sleep when it came to Parsha Baalosha because they didn't know the answer. But we're lucky we're going to learn the answer here today. Says the Rebbe the following. We're going to be able to understand all these questions. Why Rashi is emphasizing that God is the one that bestowed the honor and not just like the verse says, the people bestowed the honor, the people waited. Why Rashi added the words thrown into the river? Why Rashi added the word that it's from a distance? And why he said, etc. We're going to understand all these by first understanding better. What does it mean here? The kavod. What is this great honor? Kavod means honor. What is this great honor 
that were giving special honor to Miriam in the point that were waited for her. What's this honor exactly that we waited for? I mean, let's, let's analyze this. What is this honor? You're saying this whole big thing, God, we gave her honor that we waited for. What's the honor? Simply understood, when the Jews would not have waited for her, what would have been the alternative option if we didn't wait for her? She would have been stuck in the desert. Because she wouldn't be able to come with us. She had to be in isolation. She was a Matsaira. She had leprosy. She was not allowed to be next to people. She had a severe condition of contamination. So what was the option? We should have left her there. I mean, we're saying we gave such a big honor, we waited for her. I mean, what was your alternative? What are you going to do? Leave her the strander there in the desert alone? What would happen if we left her in the desert alone? It would be literally a situation of danger to life called Sakonos Nefashos Mamash. It would have been literally dangerous for her. Not just the opposite of honor. It would have been putting her life completely in danger. Imagine living or leaving a woman or anybody alone, stranded in a desert. And we're going to be, by the way, seven days of traveling ahead of her. Leave a person all alone in a desert? you know what's in a desert? Lots of dangerous stuff. Snakes, scorpions, all kinds of problems. There's no water. There's all kinds of things. So what was the option? We're saying, oh, we gave her so much COVID that we waited. What was our option? We couldn't leave her there. Now, we can say, that this is precisely the reason why Rashi says the words. That it's for because she waited for Moshe who was thrown into the river in order to explain the measure for measure here. Just like she waited that, that hour for Moshe. It was, a, it, it was what? Pikuach Nefesh. Moshe could have drowned. Who knows what could have happened, God forbid, to the baby. So maybe that's why Rashi's telling you those words. That when she, he was thrown into the river, so let's do measure for measure for her, she stayed there to make sure that, that, that make sure that he, Moshe's life wouldn't be in danger. So Hashem is giving her a measure for measure reward that she shouldn't be stuck in the desert alone. You're going to tell me that's the reason? To tell me just because that's why? Because it's a measure for measure thing? But one second. Rashi wouldn't have to say this is the kavod that Hashem gave. It's not about kavod. Rashi said, look at the kavod, the honor that Hashem gave to Miriam. It's got nothing to do with kavod. If it's measure for measure, it's about pikuach nefesh. It's about saving her life. So Rashi should have said that Hashem saved her life. It has nothing to do with kavod. What's the honor business here? Hashem is just paying her back. She saved her brother's life. So we're now saving her life. Because what was our option? She'll leave her there to die. So if you think about it, we have to understand what is the kavod here? What's the stress on this idea that we gave kavod? Hashem gave kavod to Miriam. What all this honor? What kind of honor business? We didn't have a choice. We had to save her life. Ah, you'll tell me let her die? No, we're not going to let her die. She went to save her brother's life, so we got to treat her equal. 
So what's the kavod? What's the honor business here? So for this, we're going to now explain an unbelievable way of understanding the Chumash. And it's, it's like so simple, but it's so, you know, it's like putting on the light. You know, it's like you have a room and you put on the light. That's what the Rebbe is doing. He's like kind of putting on the lights. He's, he's glowing the words of the Chumash to help us to understand, to explain what's happening here. When Hashem said the words, your punishment is, the, 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 the punishment in terms of cleansing yourself from this condition that you have, the leprosy. You should isolate yourself for seven days outside the camp. And after that, you come back in. It's understood. Now, from these words, let's, let's redo these words one more time. Hashem says, Isolate yourself for seven days outside the camp. And after that, you can come back in. It's understood now that Miriam's healing, her medication system that's going to work for her is dependent that she should be for seven days outside the camps. Now, anybody that knows Hebrew knows the word machna, machanos, these three, the camps, machana means a camp. Machna is from the word chanoya or chania from being settled, relaxed. That's why we translate it as camps, right? Camp is a place where you're calm, you're rested, you're, you're tranquil. That's what it means, machna. She has to go outside for seven days, outside the camps. That means the, the Jewish people have to be in a stage of camping, because that's the word. You have to go outside the camping. That means there has to be a camping. That means we have to be dwelling in these camps. And she has to go outside, isolate yourself outside the place where these dwellings of these camps. Now, how is it possible to go outside the camps only if there's going to be a camp? Only if the people are going to be camping, then there's an outside to the camping. But if everybody's moving, there's no camping. And therefore, if there's no camping, there's no way to go outside the camp. So we need that everybody should be camping. Like Rashi said earlier, I believe in Parsha, not so Rashi said there, that Toicha inside the curtains, around the, the, the Mishkan, the tabernacle, with these curtains all the way around. And that's the place where the Shechina camps by the Levites section there all the way till the end of the flags, which is till the outside of the camps where all the Israelites are. That means that's the place where God dwells is when we're camping there or where we're camping. But while we're traveling, there's no rule. There's no, there's no, name, there's no word outside the camp when there's no camp. And therefore, if the Jews would not be camping now for seven days, if we would have moved on, what would have happened? It's obvious we would never leave Miriam there. I mean, that's like, that would be, we can't think like that. We would never leave it there. That's a matter of life or death. And by the way, the Rebbe brings down in a footnote, interesting thing, that if a person halachically on Shabbos, I'm just a side note, but it's, he brings it in the footnote, so it's worthwhile to share it. If a person is traveling in the desert and you're in a caravan with people in a desert and 
the caravan of people are, you know, they're having a picnic there on Thursday, Friday. And all of a sudden, everybody starts getting nervous. Maybe it's too dangerous to stare. Everybody into the caravan, we're moving locations. Now, if you're there, you may say, one second, it's Shabbos, I can't travel. The law is that if it's dangerous there, you're allowed to get into the, into the caravan and travel with the group. So obviously, in other words, back to our context here, obviously we wouldn't leave Miriam there alone. So if we wouldn't wait in the camp, if, and if we wouldn't wait and be camping for seven days, we would of course be taking Miriam. But what would happen? She would be delaying the commandment, go isolate outside the camp. Why? Why would she be delaying it? Because there's no camp. If we would be moving, then we're moving. If we're moving, then she can't go outside the camp. That means if she can't go outside the camp, she can't start counting her seven days of isolation. So all of a sudden, she is stuck with this condition that she can't start her seven days because everybody's moving. There's no camp for her to go outside the camp. And that is when the verse says kavod. What does it mean Hashem gave her kavod? Hashem said, I want all the Jews to wait seven days and camp, continue to camp here for seven days. Don't travel yet. Why? Because I want Miriam not to have to delay her her beginning of her isolation for seven days. And he brings down in footnotes that the seven day period must be a seven day, uh, uh, like a block of seven days. You can't say three days now, three days later. The verse says a seven day period. So it means once one solid seven days. So what does it mean? Kavod? What's the kavod there? The kavod is that we don't want Miriam to have to wait before she could start her isolation of going outside the camp. And that's the emphasis on the word kavod here. Now, based on this idea, now that we have a good, clear picture, now we understand, well, what does it mean when Rashi says that Hashem was bestowing kavod on her? Not because we're worried she may die in the desert, we didn't have a choice, that doesn't make sense. The kavod here is, means that Hashem is bestowing kavod, that we want her to get clean and healthy as fast as possible. Why? Look what she once did for her brother. She gave kavod there. We're soon going to see about that. But what comes out from here, says Rashi, that we now are going to be able to learn a wondrous idea in Jewish law based on this idea. On this idea that waiting and not and not um, postponing the healing process for one woman we're going to be able to learn out some interesting laws. And that is, when it says the words, and after the seven days, achar, after that, safe, you could be in gathered, you can come back in. Rashi says on those, on those words, he says like this, I say, Rashi says, I say that any time we use the word asifa, coming back, in gathering, returning in, in relation to the subject of leprosy, 
it's always referring to being sent away outside the camp. And when you heal, you now come back into the camp. That's when we use the word asifa. So the word achar, te'asef, Rashi's just pointing out that grammatically this word te'asef means coming back in. Because whenever it's used in this subject of leprosy condition, you could go outside the camp and then you come back in. As we see always by the leprosy condition, every leprosy person, situation, goes outside the camp, he, that's your healing, and you come back in. From here, it's understood that when the commandment is to Miriam, isolate yourself for seven days outside the camp by Miriam, it's connected with the fact that she had leprosy. That's how we understand here that we had leprosy because that's when we use this word. After that, you could come back, but we're using the same word choice for hachnasa, for coming back. We use the word teyaseh that we always use by the, by the condition of matzara. So that's how we know that she had this condition. From here, we could say that the law by matzara, that all the days that a person is contaminated with Mitzayra. The verse says, but regarding Mitzayra, Badad Yashab, you should be sitting alone where? Outside the camp. He says like this, it's outside the camp, what you see from here, is not a side note. It's actually a condition in order for the leprosy person to become pure. It's, in other words, if you have I'm sitting alone, but I don't have the fact that I'm outside the camp while I'm impure, then you can't become pure. It goes together. Isolation and outside the camp. You have to have both. In other words, for a Mitzorah person, isolation is that your healing is dependent on being for a certain number of days, a pocket block of days outside. And that's why it says, The Kohen has to isolate the person that has this condition for seven days. Comes out that if you don't have seven days outside the camp, then your purity is going to be delayed. You need to have the seven days outside the camp, a full seven days. But, but relay in regarding to a Mitzayra, since by the Mitzorah it says, you should be sitting alone and outside the camp, then you can ask a question. Because by a Mitzorah it says both things, be alone and outside the camp. But Miriam, it just uses the word, be isolated outside the camp. doesn't use the word be alone. But he says from here, you could ask a question. What's the main thing? To be sitting alone not to be next to other people? Or is it important that I'm outside the camp? Now, what's the difference? The difference is, what if there is no camp? If I sit alone in a, on a bench in the park, is that enough for me to become pure? If there is no camps around, in other words, I don't have the ability to go outside the camp. There's no camping. People are not camping. The Jews are not settling in, in, like, in camps. So by a Mitzvah that's isolated, in a situation where there are no camps, is his alo- sitting alone, does that count in the seven days or not? According to one way of looking at it, if he's not in the camp, okay, at least he could, stay, he, he could finish his seven days because he's, he's sitting alone. 
But according to the other way of looking at it, if you don't have the camps, you cannot finish your seven days of counting. Now, it comes out according to halacha, which is so interesting. It comes out according to bottom line Jewish law, that the law by, in order for Metzorah to purify himself, it says in halacha that the idea of having this leprosy condition is actually relevant in Israel and outside of Israel, whether the temple is standing or whether the temple is not standing. Leprosy condition is something that's still around. Based on this, according to those opinions, there's no way to become purified nowadays from a leprosy condition. Because after the temple was destroyed, we don't have any more Jews are camping anymore. We don't have that settlement where we're, where we're, where we're camping, the Kohen, the Levites, the Israelites. We don't have that concept anymore. That we don't have. So if we don't have the camping, we don't have a place to go outside the camp. So we may be able to become a, a leopard or a leprosy condition, but you won't be able to become purified because you, you don't have a place to go outside a camp. In other words, if you say that the main thing is for the leprosy person to be alone, isolated, and he doesn't need a camp, then it's no problem even nowadays. He could just be isolated and he's pure. But if you say that he has to go outside the camp, we don't have a camp now, once the temple was destroyed. And even if you say that since the whole idea of the camp, you don't have, and you don't have the camp even right when you became impure, so you could say, maybe I don't have to become pure. Because I don't have the... In other words, if I become impure, but there's no camps, so then I don't need maybe the camps to become pure. So then you could ask, if what happens if you were living during the time of the end of the temple? What happens if you're living... There were two temples that stood in Jerusalem, right? What happens if you were living at, that, at the end of the temple period, literally in the last few days, and you became impure? And so now you became impure while the temple was still standing. That means we still had the camps. And while you were impure, the temple was destroyed. Is there a way for me to become pure if I can't finish my seven days? <laughs> that you, you could analyze this, this theoretical question. But based on what we said before regarding to Miriam, we could learn that even for a Metzairah, they must have the positive instruction of being outside a camp. Because that's what we said. We said Miriam, everybody waited for Miriam because we have to have a camp in order for her to start counting her seven days. So we all waited for her. Comes out that if you don't have a camp and you cannot fulfill the instruction of going outside a camp, there's no way to become pure again. We learned this halacha from the story of Miriam because why did we give her covered? Where, where was the covered That we all didn't want her to delay her becoming pure. So we see from this that if you don't have camps, unfortunately, we can't become pure. Now, based on this, that the whole idea of Miriam's covered was that in order for her to begin her seven-day counting, and therefore, and by, by counting her seven days, we will in effect be able to get her to a healing, healthy state. And it shouldn't get delayed even a drop of time. We could explain now why Rashi said this is the kavod 
that the omnipotent bestowed on her, that Hashem himself bestowed on her. Remember we asked before, why did he say, why did Rashi say that Hashem gave the kavod? The verse itself says, the the people didn't travel. So the verse seems like it's giving the, the, the credit to the people. And the Mishnah also says the people. So why did Rashi say that this is Hashem giving her the kavod? And if Rashi wants to bring out the greatness of the kavod, by saying that it was by Afam Hashem, he should have said, like this Sifri and the Mechilta, there are other good sources that lived before Rashi's times, that said that Hashem held back the Shechina and the Ark and the Kohanim and the Levim and the Israelites and all seven layers of firmaments. Hashem held them all back. Rashi should have said everything. He should have quoted over there. So what did Rashi here try to tell us by saying that this is the kavod, that Hashem held for him, gave her, bestowed on her? Says He's pointing out like this. Rashi is not so interested here to emphasize who gave her the kavod. Was it Hashem? Was it the people? That's not really what Rashi's trying to bring out. That's, we asked that question because it stuck out in our face seeming like there's an emphasis here. Rashi wants to bring out that the kavod was connected with Hashem because Hashem said that I want her to be able to isolate for seven days outside the camp. So in other words, the kavod, Hashem, the Jews, whatever, but the, the, the emphasis is that Hashem is the one that is the initiator of it all because Hashem is the one that said, I want her to isolate for seven days outside the camp. Automatically, because Hashem said, I want her to isolate for seven days outside the camp, automatically everybody understood we have to wait because there needs to be a camp for her to go outside the camp. So that's why Rashi emphasizes Hashem to tell you that this whole story of this kavod came about because of Hashem's instruction. Go isolate for seven days outside the camp. So that's the emphasis of this word Hashem. Not to say Hashem wanted and the Jews didn't want to. We're not going to go that far. It doesn't make sense. It's just to say that it came about because Hashem is the one that gave that instruction of, the, of her healing processes to isolate the seven days. But now we could ask a question. Here comes a, fa- a fascinating question. And this actually, I think now, is going to bring out the remarkable insight here of this whole talk. Where do we have the concept of measure for measure here? Right, we're supposed supposed to be a measure for measure subject here. It's because look, we're giving her honor now because she waited for Moshe. One second, Moshe's waiting in the Moshe's floating in the basket was something that was life threatening for Moshe. What does it help me by giving her covered in comparison of saving a person's life? She went to save a person's life. We're not talking here about saving her life like we said before. She would have traveled with them even in impurity. So where's the measure for measure? She stood and waited to make sure Moshe's life should be spared. And here you're just giving her honor. Is honor a measure for measure reward for saving somebody's life? She saved her brother's life? And 
And both ways you can look at it. When it says she sat there on the side, that was something to save his life. Which is saving a life is one of the most hugest, biggest things you could accomplish in life. Save a person's life. Remember the story I shared with you once? When two years ago, I went to pick up uh, uh, something from a restaurant in Wilson and Bathurst, in the middle of a winter a winter day, maybe 7.30, 8.30 p.m. The sun, was, the sun was really dark, freezing, freezing cold, below zero weather. The Toronto streets were covered in, in ice, like a white ice. Trees were glowing in its white frozen snow ice on all the trees. And I was with my 10-year-old daughter, 8-year-old daughter, and I came out of the restaurant and I heard a voice of a kid screaming, Mommy! Mommy! And I looked around. I didn't see anybody. I went into the car and then I turned around to my daughter and I said, You know, I don't like that sound that I heard. Let me go check again. I opened up the door and about maybe two, three hundred feet away from me, like about a block and a half East of Bathurst Street. It's a quiet night, remember. The trees, the lights. It's like that crystal beautiful, you know, forest view. In the middle of the winter. And I see in the middle of the street. Probably a two-year-old kid. In pajamas. Walking in the street. In the center of the street. Screaming, mommy, mommy, mommy. Like that. I jumped to the car. I said to my daughter, we're going to get this kid. We turned her. I swung around. I go to the kid. I picked up this kid. And you somehow you could feel and see this a Jewish kid. I don't know what it is. The pajamas, the something. Anyways, I picked up this kid, brought it into the car. It was freezing. Put the heat on blasting. We tried to you know warm up. Finally calmed this kid down. Couldn't make a conversation. The kid was too small. Mommy, mommy, mommy. I drove around. I saw a mezuzah. I knock, I, I knock on the door. I say, do you recognize this kid? The lady says, I don't recognize this kid, but I think you should call the police. I said, oh, I'm not calling the police just yet. I think we can figure this out. Anyways, I turn another block and I remembered maybe 15 years ago, I had uh, Chaim Goldberg was, uh, I did carpool once with one of his kids. And I said, I think he lives on this block. I flip in my phone, I find his cell phone number and Baruch Hashem, he picks up the phone on the first ring. And I said, listen, Chaim, I found this kid in the street. Maybe you could help me. I just uh, a block away from here. Can you come out and help me? I don't know who this kid belongs to. Anyway, he comes running outside. He looks at this kid. He says, I don't know. He says, but you know, there's a house, a few houses down across the street. Let's go there. They have a lot of uh, kids there. Maybe they'll know. So we go there. And uh, when he knocks on the door. I'm waiting in the car, in the warm car. And this lady comes running out with her teenage daughter. And they look inside the, win- the the car, open the window, and they start screaming the kid's name. I'll just say for now, you know, uh, Noach. And she says, Noach, oh my gosh, it's you. They couldn't believe it. Everybody's crying. They they uh, they grab the, the, the kid. They say, we know. She says, it's my, my, uh, my sister-in-law's kid, whatever. Anyways, so she knew enough. I felt, and as I'm handing over the kid, I noticed that the kid actually was wearing boots. There was no coat. Freezing cold, but somehow this kid left his house, but had the intuition, I guess, to stick his feet into the boots. I don't know. Anyways, and they said, who are you? So I say, you know, Rabbi Deitch from Chabad, and that's it. 
there was a Thursday night, Friday before Shabbos, somebody drops off a uh, box of chocolates at the house, and it says on it, Megalgalin Schus Ayidei Zakai. A, a a merit rolls down to somebody that deserves the merit, you know, to have this uh, honor, reward, whatever, you know. And I said to myself after, you know, the Rebbe sent us to Toronto, you know, to hear the sounds of every kid screaming, mommy, mommy, you know, our, our mama in heaven, you know, this, the Miriam, the Hashem that's there, we're looking for that. And that's our job to find each person screaming this out, you know. It turns out that a couple of weeks later, I was somewhere at the Lawrence and Bathurst there, and a guy meets me as above of a chassid, the long pious, and he says, oh, you're the one that saved my uh, my nephew. I said, uh, what's the story? So he tells me that his brother-in-law, they came back from Israel um, that afternoon, and the wife went out to visit her mother, and the father was uh, watching the kid, but he fell asleep on the couch. They just arrived back from Israel not too long before. And the kid, his father was sleeping, mother wasn't home, and the kid just made his way out the door. Anyways, so back to our story here. When Miriam saving the life of Hatzalos Nafash is saving a life, obviously that's from the highest things we could do is save a life. And the reward for Kavod even the highest level of kavod, doesn't come into comparison for measure for measure. And on the other hand, Miriam's waiting for one moment is self-understood actually. Even a simple person could understand it. Especially when it's talking about saving a kid and especially when it's your own brother. So what's the big novelty that she went to, to, to watch her brother to save her brother? And the reward that Hashem gives her for this is covered to make the entire nation and the Mishkan to stop for such a long period of time to move on. It's like stopping the whole world just for a thing that she did that's so obvious if you think about it. So it's the biggest thing what she did, but it's also the most obvious thing to save a kid. So what's this? We're supposed to have measure for measure here. Where's the measure for measure? Hashem giving kavod when Miriam saved the person's life. And okay, she saved even if it's brother. It's obvious, fine. But we're making everybody wait. What's the, what's the real connection here? Therefore, the, the clue to this, the clue to answer this, is the clue is when you see why did Rashi add one word into the Rashi. Rashi quoted the verse and said, the sister was sitting, that would have been enough for me. But Rashi quotes the word, she was sitting from a distance. Why did he quote the word distance? Why does that help me here? He says, ah, that's the clue here. The, her waiting was not connected with saving Moshe. How do I know it wasn't connected to saving Moshe? Because she was far. It said that she was in a distance. How do you stay in a distance to save a little infant who's barely three months old uh, floating in the water? You could save this kid. You're in a distance. There's nothing you would be accomplishing in terms of saving the kid. And actually, if you think about it, he brings that in the note. The verse in Shemais where it talks about the story of Moshe in the basket, over there it actually says that she stood in the distance to know what's going to be with the baby. It doesn't say she stood in the distance to save the baby. 
She stood in the distance to know to know what's going to happen. And even the, the, the Targum Yonis in Benazia, which is another translation like the Uncle's idea, he also translates the verse, she wants to know what's going to be the end with this kid. Whose hands is he going to fall into? That's what she was curious to know. It doesn't say she was there to save the kid. So in our, so Rashi is telling you, oh, think about this. Merachik, she's sitting there in the distance. The fact that she's in the distance tells you a clue that she wasn't there to save his life. She was just there from a distance watching the scenario. And therefore, there's no question here, how does it come that Hashem, to give kavod, that Hashem gives her kavod as a reward for waiting? Because her reward for waiting was not about saving a life. It was just to know, it was just an honorable thing. She wanted to know what's going to be with the kid. Ah, honorable thing. No problem. Hashem says, 80 years later, I'm here to pay up. Hashem always pays up. Any good deed a person does, Hashem pays up. Don't worry, you may have to wait 80 years, but he pays up. One thing you know, if he never paid you back, you're going to live for a long time. So you're all good. So don't rush to ask for to get paid back, you know? I mean, that's my way of understanding it, but I think that's here. But it's clear. So Hashem says, I'm going to pay you back. But it's, it's kavod is the measure from it. You gave kavod to your brother to see what's going to happen. It's not about saving his, his life. He would have been saved anyways. That's not the issue. The issue is, what's okay, let me give some honor to see what's going to be over here. And in and, and Miriam's story, she also would have never been left in the desert. Nobody would have left in the desert. The law is that even if she's impure, she would be going together with the people. We would never leave her alone there in the desert. That's not the way you treat a woman. Never do you do that. A woman's there in the desert, no matter what her condition is, you wait there and the entire people will wait. And if we have to move, we're going to take her with us. It's not even a question. When it comes to respect for a woman. We don't have the story yet by a man that we waited seven days. So it's clearly emphasizing here about this woman, Miriam. Now, you could still ask a question. Okay, I get it. Kavod for covered. But come on. What's the connection of these two kavods? The cover that she waited for Moshe to the cover for the fact that she stood in the distance. That only explains me, the fact that she was a distance only explains to me that it wasn't life-threatening. But it still doesn't help me to understand the comparison of the levels of kavod. Here I gave kavod to one person. Here the entire Jewish nation and the Mishka and the R and everything's waiting for her. What's the, what's the comparison of two? Ah, that's why Rashi said the word etc. It's hinted in the etc. There's something there in that verse. When Rashi says etc., you're going to know the clue to that. What is the accomplishment that she stood there from a distance to know what's going to be? The Torah tells us that when the daughter of Pharaoh came out to bathe in the, in this, in, in the river... And she saw a nar boichev atachmololov. She saw this young lad, baby, crying, and she became merciful over him. She tried to calm him down, and she couldn't calm the baby down. He was crying hysterical. That the Torah tells the story. And at that moment, the she, Miriam, told. To the daughter of Pharaoh, she jumped up. She said, oh, wait, wait, wait. Your baby's not stopping to cry. I got a great idea. Why don't you call one of the nursemaids, 
the, 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 uh, one of the women of the Hebrews and let them nurse the baby. Obviously, by the way, the commentaries fill in that first she tried the, the, the Egyptian women and the baby didn't want to uh, uh, eat the milk from a from from one of, from the Egyptian women, right? Moshe only only drank Chol of Yisrael, I guess, yeah. But it says because Moshe had to had his mouth one day was going to speak face mouth you know mouth to mouth with God, so he couldn't be that he would drink from these Egyptian women. So that's why we have to go get okay. So so she is the one Yocheved is the one that speaks up and says go get the he will get a Hebrew woman, and guess what the the daughter of Paro says. Lechi, go, go get. And then the verse says, Vatelech ha'alma. And Rashi says, what's alma? Alma means like young lad. But it, it really, Rashi points out, it means with swiftness. She went with swiftness and she went to call the mother of the baby. So all of a sudden, Maisha's mother, Yocheved, is now getting paid a salary to nurse this little baby. That's what happened. But what do you see from this? We see in that story that Miriam had a swiftness here. It's understood that if Miriam would have not went, they, they would, right? It's true. It's true. Rashi brings down that they, went, they, they tried many of the Egyptian women, tried to nurse him and he wouldn't take it. But what would have been the end? The end was the daughter of Paro on her own would have realized that this is a Jewish baby that was floating and she would have went to, to, try, to, get a, to try to get a Jewish woman. So it's not a question that s- sooner or later there would have been a Jewish woman to come nurse the baby. That's not a question. What we gained here is, is Miriam's haste to go get the Jewish woman in order to save a little bit of time of pain here. So when it says that that she the sister sat from a distance, it's emphasizing that for here she was able to swift the story to in haste haste up the story and to shorten the time of Moshe's pain. And therefore, now we understand what it means that God gave her the covenant. This that the entire nation waited until. Miriam was able to come back was in order to avoid the pain of her not being able to count to seven days. If she wouldn't be able to start the seven days. How much faster? Let's get it. Measure for measure. Speed for speed. You did that with speed for Moshe's to avoid Moshe's pain? Okay, we're going to try to hasten your pain of your impurity condition that you should be able to start your seven days right away. So that's the measure for measure. We would only understand this because Rashi said Vagomer. He said etc. Once he said etc, let's think a little more detail in that continuation of the story where she showed swiftness and that's the measure for measure. Now, as we always learned or many times we learned, the Rebbe points out that there's also in Rashi besides the clues that we just learned, and also we just learned today, also halachic insight that we got out of Rashi, we also get what's called the Yena Shotar, the wine of the Torah, the secrets of the Torah. In Rashi lies the wine of the Torah, meaning it's the secrets of the Torah. Like when you drink wine, the secrets come out. You drink the Rashi, and the secrets come out of the Torah. Now this, when it says the secrets, it means the Kabbalah and the Hasidus is the insights of the whole thing over here. So here we have an amazing Yena Shal Torah, the wine, the insights of the Torah.
we said in the beginning of this talk that when the Mishnah used the word, it said, therefore, the Jews waited. Even though it's obvious that the Jews waiting came because of Hashem, because Hashem didn't lift the clouds, as we said. You know why the Mishnahs used the words, the people waited? Because the Mishnah is emphasizing that even the Jews wanted to wait for Miriam. It's not just a thing that God likes the women and God likes Miriam. No, no, no. The, all the Jews liked it. That's what the Mishnah is trying to emphasize. Even though, even of course, according to Rashi too, the Jews also, all the Jews wanted to wait. But Rashi emphasizes that Hashem says to wait. Not like the Mishnah who says the Jews wanted to wait. So how do you explain the difference? At the end of the day, in other words, let's get deeper in the wine of the picture here. Let's get to this bottom secret here. At the end of the day, why did the Mishnah use the words the Jews waited for her? And Rashi used the words that it was Hashem giving the cover to her. So he says like this, the sages teach us, it's in tractate brachas and a couple other places, well, a well-known quote. It says like this, Hakol bidei shamayim, chutz miyiras shamayim. Everything comes from the hands of heaven except for fear of God. Fear of God, you got to work on it on your own. You can't say, oh, God, please give me this. I should have fear. I should have fear of you. I should, you know, be scared of you. You have to work on that. Keep on learning and davening, doing many different efforts. Then you'll feel the God's presence in it. Otherwise, it could come Shabbos. You're in the bathroom. You'll turn on the light, off the light. And who's looking, right? But if you feel God, if you have that Yerushalayim in you, you have that God-fearingness in you, then You'll, you'll feel Hashem everywhere. It doesn't matter what a person sees, right? You could be with the internet in a house where nobody's there. If you have your Shemaim, you're okay. You'll be on Chabad.org the whole time. So what the sages say, everything comes from heaven except for the fear of heaven. And this is the reason that it's hard to say that the goodness, the fact that the Jews waited for Miriam and with this, they gave her covered was only connected, it's hard to say that it was only connected with the hands of heaven because that the clouds didn't go up and it wasn't because of their own intuition. Remember, everything comes from heaven. Everything's from the hands of heaven except for the fear of God. That means to, we have to say that the Jews themselves also wanted to wait. It wasn't only because the clouds didn't lift. So we could say, that on the contrary, this, that the cloud stood in its place, didn't go up. It was why? Because the Jews wanted to wait for Miriam. And this is the reason why the Mishnah said that the Jews waited. Because that fits to the whole narrative. That we treat a person measure for measure. You waited for Moshe, you Gave him honor. We're going to do the same thing for you. But according to Rashi, Rashi is of the opinion that even a Jew agrees and wanted to wait. In simple terms, it's difficult to say that in the literal level of the narrative of the story, it's very difficult to say that this traveling would be dependent on the people. Every time we moved, it was all dependent on the cloud going up and down. But this one, the people didn't want to go. I get it. Why? Because of them. 
But Rashi is all about the literal level of the interpretation. Rashi is saying, one second, every time we traveled or didn't travel it was dependent on the cloud. Now you're going to tell me that it was all dependent on our own interest? We decided we want to wait for her? Like, how did you get into this picture? It's Hashem that's running the show here. So in other words, Rashi is taking it deeper than the Mishnah. The Mishnah is telling you on a literal level, yes, the Jews go measure for measure because everything comes from the hands of Hashem. Rashi saying is that you can't say that on the literal level, that this tr- movement is going to be different, this trip. Now he says, let's go even another layer deeper. When Rashi says, which is the wine of Torah, now he's talking about the most truest, deepest level of everything, which is that even the things of the, the idea of fear of heaven, which comes through your efforts, really comes also from heaven. How does it come from heaven? This, the Talmud said, everything comes from the hands of heaven, except for the fear of God. So what do you mean, really, 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 even fear of God comes from heaven? He says, you know why? Because it comes from higher than the hands of heaven. <laughs> In other words, even this, that the Jews wanted to give respect to her, also came because of an awakening from above. In other words, why all of a sudden did the Jews want to wait for her? Because we, want, we got an intuition from above, from a very high place of spirituality, that we want to do what's right. That's Rashi. But the Mishnah is called Nigla the Torah. The Mishnah is not the wine of Torah. The Mishnah is only what's revealed is in the Mishnah. And over there, you can't see that in a revealed way, that it, everything really, really comes from such a high place, and that's why you're motivated to do this. Because if you would say that, you would be losing freedom of choice. So you have to say that it's dependent on the person to make the right move or not. So on a very deep level, you could say that even when you make freedom of choice, how do you make the right decision? Yeah, because there's also an extra hand above that's going to help you. Right? That's That's... Kabbalistically speaking, that even your even the move you made, whether it was bad or good, yes, you're getting punished or reward based on freedom of choice, but there, there's something that orchestrates everything from above it all. But on the simple letter, level of 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 of, uh, of uh, reward and punishment, all that that goes with freedom of choice. So the mission is talking at that level. Based on all this, we can understand why this whole thing that we just said. That everything comes from above is hinted in the Rashi where it's talking about the subject of leprosy. The whole idea of leprosy, that you have to be sent away outside all the three camps, is because that you did something that was the opposite of holiness. And therefore you have to go outside the camps. The camps is where God's presence is. And you did something unholy, so you have to go outside the camp. Even outside the camp of the Israelites, which is the lowest of the levels of the Jewish campings. You have to go outside of that. And we could say that this is the deeper meaning that we explained before. That the main thing that happens is the obligation that you have to go outside the camp. More important than being in, in isolation is that you have to be outside the camp. Because when there is no camps, 
you wouldn't be able to go outside from a holiness. So since you did something unholy, you have to go outside the place of holiness. You don't fit in the place of the holiness. You have to go outside the camps, which is holiness. And therefore, even this, that God-fearing person, or your Yerushamayim, the God-fearingness that comes from above, is hinted to in connection with the rushing up of the purity. As we see, we rushed up her purity. We didn't want to delay it even for a moment. And like it's explained elsewhere, that this is the reason that it says that what is the Kohen? What, what happens when a person has a condition? You are brought to the Kohen. It doesn't say go to the Kohen. It doesn't say lech la Kohen. It says you are brought. That means you are brought by force. Because the awakening to, to repent for such a low level that you even have to go outside all three camps is not because of the person. Being at such a low level, it's very difficult to awaken in yourself to do teshuva. On your own will, if you're so low and you're so far, how could you awaken yourself to all of a sudden shape up? It has to be that there's something from above you get forced to. Because why do you get forced to? Because there's a promise from God. Hashem says in the Torah, Bal yidach nidach. Nobody is too far gone. Even the person that's so far gone, Hashem himself will come out and pull you in and give you the strength to be pulled back in and Hashem will help. So this is the summation that answers all our questions here of this beautiful idea of Miriam's kavod here, so that Miriam's kavod here is not a kavod because she did something pikuach never saved the kid's life. It wasn't about that. It was about that she did it in a swiftness, going to rush to go get his mother. That's what we're talking here. And therefore, in our story here, what is the kavod that Hashem gave her? That we rushed up her ability to be isolated for the seven days so that she can come pure quicker. That's the goal, to bring a person back quicker. This is a sikha, as I mentioned, that was said in 1965, and it was published a little bit later on in the 70s, in 1979. And we're lucky that we got to learn it today.